Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. The state of primary care in this country is dire. A recent survey found that a quarter of clinicians plan to leave primary care within the next three years. A 2022 report found that there has been significant erosion of primary physicians, particularly in rural areas. Nearly half of all counties in the United States have a shortage of medical professionals. In spite of this, medical schools and health systems are not focused on primary care, but are broadly orienting their education and services toward physician specialties, even in the face of opioid epidemic that we're undergoing right now and the growing mental health crisis, where primary care would really be the first line of attack. Within the context of this bleak state to primary care, earlier last month, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, CMMI, announced plans to test in eight states a new primary care model that aims to enhance access and quality of primary care. That is why we are excited today to talk about, in this program, uh, a new program from CMS called the Making Care Primary, or MCP model, with someone who knows all about it. Dr. Liz Fowler, Director of CMMI and Deputy Administrator of CMS. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I'm Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous is modernizing the healthcare financial experience for all. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for WEDI, that's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And this is the Collective Voice of Health IT, a WEDI podcast. And today, as I said, we're excited to talk to Dr. Liz Fowler, Deputy Administrator and Director of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation at CMS. Dr. Fowler has over 25 years of experience in health policy and health services research. She previously served as Executive Vice President of Programs at the Commonwealth Fund. Before that, she was Special Assistant to President Obama on healthcare and economic policy at the National Economic Council. And as Chief Health Counsel to the Senate Finance Committee Chair, she played a critical role in developing the Senate version of the Affordable Care Act. She's also played a key role in drafting the 2003 Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act. Liz, welcome and very glad to have you on our show today. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Excellent. And i um, excited to hear about this uh, new program that CMS is rolling out to, uh, uh, to support primary care. So maybe let's start with the problem. Liz, and, and tell us about the state of primary care in this country and, and why primary care is even important. Well, I think you captured it really well. Uh, primary care is in crisis. Uh, we know from a survey last year that nearly half of primary care practices that were surveyed think that primary care is crumbling. Um, it's That's the, a similar finding from previous years in the same survey. Um, we know that Medicare beneficiaries seeing five or more physicians has doubled um, in the last 20 years, and the number of providers that primary care has to coordinate with um, has increased by 80% um, over the same period. So the job is getting harder. Um, the pay is not getting uh, higher. And I think the pandemic has uh, just exacerbated a lot of these problems. At the same time, we know that High-performing health systems, if you look at other countries with better outcomes in their health care systems, primary care is sort of the backbone or the, the foundation of those high-performing health systems. And so a crumbling primary care system 
spells trouble for the U.S. Um, and and I think could mean problems for people who want uh, someone there to navigate and help coordinate their care. It could mean problems for um, patients who are particularly vulnerable, who rely on a primary care uh, practitioner um, as their sort of first stop and go-to um, provider who knows them well and knows knows their circumstances and their family in a way that maybe their specialists don't. So for a lot of reasons, I think the current state of things is is dire. And and if we don't do something, I think we'll be in 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 a world of hurt. Good. Excellent. Terrific. And, and I like how you tied the 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 idea of primary care being a backbone. And in other countries, we see that they have better health outcomes. So it really is, even though some of us may think about primary care as, you know, once a year, just checking in and getting our Heart, you know, heart check that we could probably do in CVS. Um, actually, as we grow older, or if if, if there's any chronic conditions, then uh, primary care is absolutely essential. Absolutely. So, tell us more then about the Making Care Primary Model. What is it setting out to do? So, let me back up just a little bit. The CMS Innovation Center that that I lead at, at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services um, is tasked with um, testing new and different payment models. And um, we have a lot of experience with primary care. We've run uh, the comprehensive primary care model, the CPC model, we call it. And then we had a follow-on model called CPC+. Plus. Uh, we're currently running the primary care first model. And now we just announced, as you mentioned last month, the making care primary model. And I think what's different about this model is it's really aimed at supporting and helping uh, smaller practices practices in underserved areas, in rural areas. Um, it's serving as sort of an on-ramp to value-based care. So some of the other models were pr- probably aimed at more sophisticated, larger group practices. This is really trying to make sure there's um, an inroad or an on-ramp um, for some of these others that may feel like they were left behind in the value-based care movement. Excellent. Excellent. So you're, you're targeting some of the smaller groups. Um, and I think that's interesting that like value based care is definitely a part of the, the, the process, part of the, um, the rollout, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're really looking at community health centers, FQHCs. Those are federally qualified health centers as sort of, um, those that, that serve, you know, these very vulnerable populations, um, that maybe haven't, um, put a toe in the water in value-based care. And I think what we're aiming to do is giving them the resources, tools, the sort of upfront investment that maybe has has not been available to them um, that allows them to sort of identify the right patients who are in need of a higher sort of um, level of service and more care coordination um, and gives them the ability to sort of step back from the day-to-day, as I call it, hamster wheel of billing and um, quality reporting that sometimes trips up and frustrates a lot of physicians and lets them really focus on providing patient care that they felt like they went to medical school to to provide. Very good. And, and can you give us a few more, uh, more details about the program itself? Let's say I'm a small community and maybe we, we're losing our, our primary care physicians. We're lo- losing the primary care physician that we all had in our, in our community for the last 40 years and, and no one's coming in. Well, what about the um, program can can a community tap into or, or a small physician office uh, tap into? Well, hopefully, and we've got to do a big outreach effort. I think these are practices that might not think of reaching out to CMS and might not be looking at the Innovation Center website. So we've got a whole um, strategy for trying to find these practices that might be interested. Um, what we aim to do is really give them 
um, investments um, in sort of the, the data analytics that you might need to sort of identify and risk stratify your patients um, and be able to um, provide funding, for example, for nurse practitioners or others that help manage care for patients um, and you know, maybe even provide some of that care in the patient's home um, instead of, you know, coming to the office. And those tools that that we find have been successful in other value-based care models, the funding is, um, they're not at financial risk. So they, they might get a bonus if they improve quality and they improve outcomes. Um, I think the, the, the sort of track one we're calling it is sort of the, the entry level track with these additional tools and resources. We give them data on how to um, help navigate and manage specialty care. Um, track two, which is, you know, after a couple of years of, of this sort of um, approach, um, start introducing prospective payment um, where instead of fee for service, you might get that upfront funding that allows you to, to sort of step back from some of the day-to-day, um, -day, that hamster wheel that I described, um, increases the amount of um, bonus payments they can receive for um, performance, uh, for quality improvement. And then we have a track three that's sort of, if you graduate to the, the, to the final track, it's sort of moving away from fee-for-service payment altogether towards that sort of more predictable, stable, prospective payment um, that that really, I think, gets, um, gets at some of the frustrations that a lot of the primary care practices have had with, with fee-for-service um, and continues that, that investment in tools and resources. I think we're, we're asking them to screen patients for health-related social needs and giving them more resources to be able to connect with community resources, um, for example, nutrition, housing, um, transportation, um, to make some of those connections on behalf of their patients. And uh, so I think this is the, the vision that we see. Um, there's a lot of practices out there already in, in accountable care organizations or in advanced care, um, primary care opportunities. And this is this is really aimed at sort of the those that haven't been part of existing programs. Yeah, I think what sounds exciting about this program, right, is what you just said is the innovation that some of the larger health systems um, have been doing, uh, especially after the um, pandemic, pulling in data to to give more specific treatment to their to their uh, patients. Right, the idea of reaching out to home health, meeting the patients where they are, um, the use of your nurse practitioners and physician assistants, um, uh, all of that's been kind of where healthcare has been moving, and and you're reaching out to the smaller uh, rural uh, uh, single person or a couple person physician groups and, and lifting up it, it sounds it sounds terrific talk to us more about you mentioned um, um ec, uh, health equity um how, how does um perhaps this program but more more um more broadly primary care kind of fit into that picture of of of, of the battle for health equity well I think we see the ability um, to address these issues as sort of fitting squarely in the camp of a primary care practitioner who knows the patient best may know about their family circumstances challenges you know getting you know you're you have a diabetic patient and they need uh, proper nutrition they might not if they live in a food desert or might not have the uh, resources to to eat that healthy um, diet that you're prescribing for them and this I think what we want to do is be able to give them, tools and resources to, first of all, screen the, the patients and then also connect them to um, opportunities to address some of those challenges. 
So we are adjusting um, some of the payments by clinical indicators and by social risk. Um, we are giving um, in the making care primary model um, the ability for some of these practices to reduce cost sharing for patients in need. And then, like I said, the screening and referrals. So we're asking them to really look at their patient population and de develop a strategic plan, identify some of those disparities, whether it be in a rural area or a uh, historically disadvantaged area, and how they're going to reduce those disparities. I mean, it, I think some of these practices are doing this already. We just want to give them more tools and more resources and more flexibility uh, to be able to do it um, to, to sort of up their game, if you will. Terrific. You know, you're touching on a number of things that we, we, we've had um, speakers come on this um, podcast to talk about. And, and, you know, uh, one is the idea, of course, that, that, that healthcare isn't just about, you know, the aches and pains that you feel in your body. It's connected to the kind of food you have access to. It's connected to um, the kind of, uh, you know, educational level of even understanding what, what you're being told. Um, so you mentioned that uh, community-based organizations putting um, these physicians in touch with um, other organizations that are, are, are supporting other parts of uh, a patient's lifestyle. Um, what does the program do with regard to community-based organization? Is it, is it supporting it? Is it, is it, and maybe this is more a general uh, question about the geography and the states that you've chosen. Um, how do you get into an organization and really build that network for those primary care physicians? Or is that something you kind of leave to them? Well, we have some experience with this. The Innovation Center uh, just completed a model called the Accountable Health Communities Model, which was running in Medicare and Medicaid and, and serving both patients in both programs. And it wasn't just about screening for those needs, but it was really that referral uh, to those community resources. And then a closed loop where they they those providers got information, were those needs met? Um, were you able to meet some of those needs and um, address some of those social concerns that really do impact health? So we're building on that experience and bringing those lessons to uh, the Making Care Primary model. So in terms of the screening tool, in terms of how to make sure that those referrals happen, um, how to make sure those community resources are are available and um, and uh also um, connected to those primary care practices. Excellent, Liz. And and how did you choose the states? And is the idea that you're going to uh, go further with other states? And this is just the the first phase. And then what's the timeline uh, on this program? So this model is operating in eight states: um, Colorado, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Mexico, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, and Washington State. And the way that these states were chosen was um, these are states where the state Medicaid program is a partner in this model. And I think this is a different approach than we've used in pre previous primary care models. So in the past, we've been sort of, um, I don't want to be disparaging, it might sound disparaging, but a mile wide and an inch deep. So we were in 26 states and had sort of a lighter footprint. I think here we're trying to deepen our connections and make sure we're working with um, state state. Um, agencies and state resources on the ground and sort of um, a deeper connection in the state. And I think the hope is that if Medicare and Medicaid are working together and aligned in terms of the general approach and um, the approach that we're thinking about in terms of primary care and that support, uh, that maybe commercial pairs will, will uh, want to join as well. So we've got a plan to reach out to commercial insurers to those states, and we're hoping that they become partners. I think, you know, in terms of other states, we've had outreach by a number of other states who might be interested in joining. And I think, you know, at this point, we don't have plans to 
add other states, but let's see how it goes if we're successful in this approach and it seems to be working and it's successful um, based on the recruitment and uh, efforts for both practices and commercial payers, then we'll um, then we'll consider um, we'll consider um, adding other states um, as time goes on. I think I might add also this is a longer model than um, than we've also um, put out in the past. So usually innovation center models are five years, and I think one you know one aspect of our models is people say, well, you didn't save money, you didn't save money in that five years. But if you look at areas where we're trying to really make a difference in primary care in rural areas and underserved areas, you're talking about parts of our healthcare system that have been historically underfunded. Um, and to try to turn that around and generate savings in a pretty short period of time is challenging. So this model is uh, 10 years. So it's a longer model. And so because it's longer, you know, we might have the ability to, to consider in the future adding additional states, but we'll see how it goes. Gotcha. And it seems like the longer period time frame too takes into consideration, you know, what we're talking about in many cases are chronic care, right? And the primary care being the m- main hub of of coordinating that primary care. And, and you just can't see results in five to 10 years in terms of return on investment and things. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, you're talking about prevention and preventing deterioration, preventing maybe the onset of a disease. And, and that's not something that happens in, you know, in a short period of time. That's, you know, that ongoing relationship with a provider who's doing all the appropriate screenings, who's making sure you're addressing, you know, those social needs that might contribute to health. And, and that, that takes a while to generate any sort of, I guess, if you want to call it that return on investment. So we want to make sure that that, you know, that, that we have time to generate um, those results and those, and see those um, potential savings to the system. Yeah, it's a little hard to say, you know, when you're preventing um, you know, worse uh, acuity or, or worse healthcare down the road, it's a little hard to predict, like to say that you save money because somebody didn't become more sick. So I can imagine it's a hard uh, calculus to make. So um, uh, tell me, and maybe in the framework of primary care, and, and I imagine CMMI may be coming out with with other uh, uh, programs to support uh, primary care and more and more broadly value-based programs, um, where do you see or where would you like to see um, uh, the health care of this country in five? Well, let's make it 10 years since it's a it's a that that's the time frame that you're talking about. Um what would be the ideal state um, that you think would be would be a functioning uh, healthcare uh, system that could make it maybe equivalent, as you said, uh, to other countries and in, in how they view primary care? Well, we've uh, in 2021 we laid out a strategy, and uh, we really want to see a, a healthcare system that um, generates equitable outcomes um, and is affordable, person-centered high quality care. Um, And so we've set out a vision and, you know, one really important aspect of that vision is um, accountable care. We wanna see all Medicare beneficiaries in traditional Medicare and the vast majority of Medicaid beneficiaries in a relationship with a provider who's accountable for their total cost of care and quality, who is that quarterback for their care, who's helping them navigate the system, who's coordinating with when they need a specialist, who's making sure that there's that feedback loop, who knows if they're hospitalized and what happens when they get out of the hospital and making sure they have that appropriate home care. I mean, we have this vision for what we want to see. And it and you know that that vision we're hoping we can achieve by 2030. And primary care is a fundamental building block to that um, to that outcome. And so we're really doing a lot of investment in accountable care organizations and in primary care. 
Um, we also want to see um, health equity. We really want to make a difference. We want our models to make a difference, but more than that, we want to address health disparities that we see in Medicare and, and of course, in Medicaid as well. Um, we also see we want uh, care to be more affordable, not just for the Medicare and Medicaid system, but for patients too and their out-of-pocket costs. And so that's another factor that's um, part of our strategy. We want to make sure that providers, um, health systems, um, physicians, practitioners in our models have the tools that they need, the flexibility to do what they need to do um, to really coordinate that care for their patients. And then we also set a fifth sort of strategy objective to align with other payers. And that I have to admit has been a little bit more challenging than, than maybe some of the other aspects of the, the strategy. And how can we make sure that what we've laid out as a vision is is realized across the system and not just um, not just the corner of the world where we're operating. So it's a pretty bold vision. Um, if you're interested in learning more, it's on the CMS Innovation Center website. Um, and uh, you know we'll see. But that's what we've laid out for 2030. I love that vision. And 2030 is right around the corner. So that's that's uh, terrific. That's terrific. And I can understand that uh, it does feel like the uh, commercial sector's not quite uh, uh, keeping the same paces you all and it seems to need to because we all turn 65 sometime and and many people are coming off their commercial and going into medicare and that that should be a fluent uh, patient experience right well i think in some in some corners of our system pay, private payers and commercial payers are doing better and they're moving faster or further um, but we're not all doing the same thing and so you mm -hmm. know you, you think about a provider who's reporting on you know tens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of quality metrics if you're a large hospital system and they're all measuring, all these payers are measuring, you know, success in managing diabetes in a slightly different way. And if we could all just get on the same page and sort of be rowing in the same direction, I think it would be a lot easier for um, for providers out there and, and, you know, maybe reduce some of the friction and the frustration that they feel in practicing medicine today. But it also, I think, would result in better patient care. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Liz. Thank you, Dr. Fowler, um, for telling us more about the Making Care Primary. Any last words you want to, um, anything that you didn't touch on that you want to talk about? And then and, and any resources or websites that you'd like to direct uh, listeners to? Well, I think if you are interested in more about what we're doing, uh, the CMS Innovation website is is probably the best place to go. And I'm not going to give you the address. You have to search for it because I think they're getting ready to change the address uh, at some point as we sort of look at at um, some website upgrades, um, but just search for CMS Innovation Center or CMMI. And um, we've got our strategy. We've got more about all the different models we're running. I think we are um, looking forward to this fall. We're looking at a state-based um, total cost of care model and also a dementia model that we're working on and um, more information on the website. But I think maybe just the last um, last word is, you know, we want to engage with folks outside and we want your input and your feedback in terms of what's working. If you're in one of our models and and you think something's not working, we wanna hear from you. If, if you think we need to do more of something or less of something, we really wanna hear from you because I think that sort of feedback loop is really important for the work that we do and making sure that we're reflecting what's really happening, you know, out there in the real world and, and hopefully making improvements in the directions we wanna see. 
Excellent. Thank you, Liz. And, and you know, unlike other industries, 100% of Americans and 100% of probably across the world are involved in our healthcare system. So everybody's got a comment about it. Everybody's got a thought about it. And uh, uh, send your thoughts to CMMI. And again, uh, um, Dr. Fowler, you went over a couple of other programs and models that CMMI is working on. This is certainly not the other ones, uh, only one. So uh, lots of exciting things happening there. Thank you for uh, your time today, Dr. Fowler. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. Well, we've been talking, great discussion with Dr. Liz Fowler, Deputy Administrator and Director of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, CMMI at CMS. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.